Good morning. Hey, can we make some noise? If you're excited to be with all your friends at church today, hey, really quick, would you agree with me not to be that guy and invite your friends and family to Easter? The experts say that your friends and family are upwards of seven times more likely to join you for Easter than any other Sunday. So don't be that guy. Bring someone on the journey with you. But my name is Travis. I'm excited to get to bring today's message uh, to our church today. So we're in a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And the thesis statement behind the series is there's all kind of people in your life and you get the opportunity to serve them and help lead them closer to Jesus. And everybody's like, cool, I listened last week. I got it. I'm with you. Well, today I want to bring a message to you called Who is My Neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And technically, Pastor Brandon did answer that question last Sunday. The short answer is everyone. Like, everyone's our neighbor. But if we're being real with ourselves, it's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? Like, it's kind of overwhelming. And why does it feel overwhelming? It's because everybody we run into is so much more different than we are, and there's that little gap that we have to overcome. I'm going to use a different word that starts with a D. No, it's not the one you're thinking of. Um, it is the word difficult. People are difficult. Does that make sense? <laughs> people are difficult, and there are probably people that have our last name, right? But people are different. If people can, you can laugh at that one too. If, <laughs> but people are different, and people are difficult, and sometimes it takes a lot for us to think about how in the world do we engage with the people around us? And I think I figured out the first time in my life when this became apparent, and I wonder if it's the same for you. Do you guys remember in school when it was class project time and you used to get to pick the friends that you would have for your group project, but instead this time the teacher said, I'm going to assign you people in your group? Oh, man. And you remember thinking like, God, please don't put me in a group with so-and-so. Please don't put me in a group with so-and-so. And who do you always get paired up with for your group? So-and-so. So-and-so today, ladies and gentlemen, is your neighbor. Can I get an amen? So listen, I get people are tough to deal with. People are difficult. Sometimes we have to overcome challenges. Sometimes we've been conditioned by the way we've grown up, and it's really difficult to see somebody for who they are, somebody that Jesus died for and he loves exactly like he loves us. But I want to challenge you today to think about who your neighbor is. I believe today's message is going to be really helpful to you. Um, I believe God is going to open our perspective on what it means to have neighbors and what it means to serve the people in our life. And I believe God wants us to embrace them ex literally exactly right where they're at. See, I want you to know that the Bible says that Christ died once for the sins of the world. That means the people in your life that are different or difficult, Jesus had on his mind when he was dying on the cross just like you and I. And their pulse is worth everything to him. But it's not just that we meet them right where they're at, but we can actually take them on a journey and they can go step by step closer to Jesus. So what I want to do is just really just bring you a message today with a couple points I think would be helpful for you to write down. And I think it's going to help everybody gain some perspective on who is my neighbor. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. We're going to start in verse 25. And I truly encourage you, Go ahead, turn in or on your Bible right now. I want to give you a minute to do that. Also, get your notebook out and get ready to take notes. And hear me out really quick. If you could, just look to the person to your left really quick and then look right back at me. All right, cool. They didn't see you. All right. So you know, the reason I'm asking you to take notes today is not for you, 
but you probably noticed when you looked at the person to your left, a little sleepy looking still, probably going to sin a lot this week. Well, if you take great notes, guess who's going to help them out all week long? Man, pat yourself on the back, man. Thank you for taking notes today. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Man, that's a great question. Let me tell you why that's getting asked. So Jesus is doing ministry, and he's teaching right now to a mixed crowd. He has his disciples with him, but he has people who have positively responded to his message, but he also has people who are kind of cynical, questioning, and maybe even negatively responding to his message. So the guy talking right now, uh, it says the word lawyer, but he's really like a, a rabbi, and he's an expert in the Old Testament. And so what he's really doing, he's, he's kind of kind of putting Jesus in a little bit of a position to see if he's really, truly who he says he is. So it so says, the lawyer stood up, put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? And how does it read to you? He's talking about the first five books of our Old Testament. And he answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Can you imagine like asking Jesus something? He says, what do you think of it? And you give the right answer. Total gold star, right? That's good stuff. But then you might be able to relate to this. Can you imagine like also the times in your life where you probably just should have kept your mouth shut and you just said that one extra thing, you put your foot in your mouth? All right, let's hop back in. <laughs> and he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you live. But wishing to justify himself, he's about to get a little cynical, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Or the way I picture it, it's like, and who is my neighbor? So the, then Jesus begins to tell a story. Jesus tells a parable. Whenever you see parables in your Bible, they're stories where Jesus is trying to get people on earth to see the way the world that God does, a really heavenly perspective of earth. And typically these stories have two to three people or two to three different story paths. And everybody hearing is probably going to relate to one of them. And for a lot of people, it's actually, it's actually going to have a negative impact because they're going to see that they're actually not the, like, the likely person in the story. You know? And then for a lot of people, they're going to come to understand more about Jesus because of parables. So verse 30, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell in the robber's hands. And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him, and Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. I have four statements I think are gonna be helpful for us as we unpack uh, today's message. Number one is we serve from purpose, not preference. We serve from purpose, not 
preference. You know, um, one, one of the parts of the Bible I relate to the most, I bet if I, if I say this out loud, you, you might feel the same way. Um, Jesus is getting ready to teach a Sermon on the Mount, and he goes to a famous piece of scripture called the Beatitudes. And the first thing he says are, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Right? Basically what he's saying is, blessed are the people just trying to get it right. I don't know about you, but I feel like that person sometimes. And one of the things I appreciate so much about God from somebody who's just trying to get it right is that God's word actually tells us how he prefers us to worship him. That I, he didn't consult me. He didn't leave it up to me to figure out. It wasn't my preference. He actually tells us through scripture the ways that we can worship him. I wrote a few down. We can, we can pray. We can go to him first and often. We can go to him first and often. We can fast. We can take parts of our lives and we can set it aside for a portion of time. And every time we think about that thing, we can now focus all that back on Jesus. And we learn really quick where we sit in the world and where he sits in the world, right? We can meditate on his word. We can, we can read our Bible and go, how in the world can I apply this to my life today? We can worship him with our voice and raise a hallelujah. We can worship him through our giving, exactly what we just did. Be generous with the things that we have in our hand. And I say that to say that God doesn't leave it up to us when it comes to how we worship him. He tells us. Well, he also doesn't leave it up to us when it comes to how we serve the people in our life and the people we come in contact with. When I say the word serve, I mean just really practically helping them right where they're at take a next step. It's the exact same way with our neighbor. When it comes to serving people, it's everyone. We don't get a preference. It's the please don't put them in my group person in our life. We don't get a preference because Jesus didn't have a preference when he was dying on the cross. He said that that person in front of you was worth the same weight that you are, and I need you to see them the way I see them. But that's not the way the characters, in our, that's not the way all the characters in our story saw them, right? Let's dive into the priest for a minute. I kind of want to work through these characters just for a moment. So the first one is the priest. The priest epitomizes the person who should have done the right thing. Right? This is the person in the story you're like, clearly they're going to stop and help the guy on the side of the road. Why? Because they're like, the chief person that should be responsible for helping somebody. But I wrote a note down about the priest, and you're probably not a priest in what you do for a living, but I bet you can relate to this. I bet you can relate to this. Is There's a difference between sermon academics and sermon application. Complete difference in sermon academics and sermon application. He had all the head knowledge, but the head knowledge means nothing if it doesn't go from our head to our heart to our hands. The head knowledge means nothing. The Bible even says, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And I want to tell you that that's a religious mentality. The Oxford Dictionary defines religion as relating to or believing in a religion. Well, that's kind of vague, wouldn't you say? So, I'm an executive pastor for a living. And sometimes when I meet people and they say, hey, what do you do for a living? I tell them, oh, I'm a pastor. They, people say the weirdest things. And for some reason, everybody immediately follows that statement with, I read the Bible 10 times. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't have like a trophy or anything to give you. We weren't giving out awards for it. Um, that's good. And I know what they're saying. They're saying is, hey, I've read the Bible. I, I understand. Like, we have some common ground. I, I, I truly do get that. But there's a difference between knowing 
and letting it go from our head to our heart and our heart to our hands. There's a difference between being religious and righteous. See, religious is just knowing. But righteous is a super churchy word. I want to break it down for you. It means that you are in right standing with God. Well, pastor, how in the world would I be in right standing with God? Well, number one, there's something that separates the two of you. It's called sin. In our New Testament, the New Testament is wrote in Greek, and the word for sin is hamartia. And it's a word picture. It means if there's a big target right here, and there's an archer shooting an arrow, and he intends for the bullseye, but hits this other point, that distance is sin. It's the gap between you and God. What deals with that? Well, Jesus deals with that. He deals with it one time for everyone. All we have to do is believe and just accept that miraculous act on our behalf. And the minute we do that, our life starts to take shape, right? That becomes our root system. And all of a sudden, the Bible says we start to develop these fruits, these virtues that start to happen in our life. And that's how we have a right standing relationship with God or a righteous relationship. There's a big difference between being religious and righteous. But he wasn't the only person who passed the guy on the side of the road. There was a Levite as well. And I know what you're thinking. There could be a pop quiz at the end of today's message. And pastor, I need to know what a Levite is so I don't get that one wrong. I'm going to help you out for a minute. So in the beginning of our Bible, we see God forming a nation and a people group. And they go into captivity in Egypt. And they're leaving and they're heading out. And there are 12 macro families that make up the people group of the Israelites. Everybody nod your head. Yeah, you guys already knew that, all right? You're all nodding your head. And so it makes it this big family. And God said, I want one of them to take care of all the church stuff. Because Jesus hasn't come yet. We still have to deal with sin. We're going to do that through a sacrificial system. They're going to be in charge of it. Also, we're going to have portable church, right? There's going to be a tabernacle. You're going to carry it with you where you go. They're going to be in charge of that stuff. And I say all that to say, and you might be able to relate to this, is the Levite may not have been the priest, but he definitely should have known better. Definitely should have known better. He's heard the sermons. He read the books. He listened to the podcasts. He's somebody who knew the right thing to do and didn't do it. Maybe even within himself, he was the type of person who's like, you know, I bet someone else is going to come along and miss an opportunity. I want to show you what the Bible says about missing an opportunity. It's James 4, 17. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him... It is sin. It is separation. (laughs) Not only am I responsible for not sinning to please God, but I'm also responsible to do what I know is right to please God as well. And the Levite, he missed a great, great, great opportunity. And then we look at our third character, which is a Samaritan. And hear me out, there's a lot of context surrounding this character and everything that's happening. So Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They have some shared history, but at one point in time, Samaritans started intermarrying with some other groups, worshiping other things, and it created a rift between these two neighboring people groups so they don't see eye to eye. So Jesus, talking to this Jewish rabbi, takes the most unlikely person and makes him the hero of the story, right? Because culturally, this is contrast to what this guy is thinking. Well, not only that, even the setting matters. So it says they're traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. That's a trade road, which is why there are robbers on it, because you have commerce traveling, and that's a great place to be able to have theft. Does that make sense? Let's take another step further. Jesus says that the guy's traveling alone. It doesn't say this, could be applied the fact that a man is traveling on a road, which normally is traveled by caravan, is alone 
would lead you to believe that he's actually even being reckless. He's actually even being reckless in what he's doing. And I don't know if you've ever said this in your life, but have you ever had like somebody do something that seemed kind of reckless and you're like, you know what? You got yourself in that situation and you can what? Get yourself out. But he, the Samaritan didn't say that. He said, regardless of tradition and regardless of circumstance, I'm going to show compassion for somebody who needs it most right now. And I think within our own lives, as we fight our personal preferences of maybe who we want to serve or who we like or maybe how we've been conditioned or brought up, as we fight that, one of the greatest things we can do is to practice what Pastor Brandon said last week is approach everybody like Jesus. And that's what grace and truth. The grace portion is, yes, I do want to meet you exactly where you're at right now. I want to be able to help you. Jesus died for you. You have a purpose in your life. We can take a bunch of steps from here, but I want to meet you exactly where you're at right now. But the truth portion is, God loves you way too much to leave you there, and I do too. I want to see you live a God-honoring life. It could look night and day different than it does right now, polar opposite, but I want to help you take those steps for that. Because grace without truth is being passive. Truth without grace is being a jerk. Pastor Brandon said that last week. One of the greatest things we can do to fight preference is to choose grace and truth. The second thing I want you to write down is your neighbor is wounded in ways you can and cannot see. Maybe you've said it a different way as you, or heard it a different way as you never know what someone is carrying. You never know what someone is carrying around you. I live in a very social profession, but I find out things all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, I never knew they had that going on this entire time. You never would have known that looking from the outside. And I'm sure everybody in this room, there's something about you you probably never told somebody. There's probably a hurt maybe you're still dealing with. I would even argue that the adverse is true, too. It said whenever the, the Samaritan was traveling down the road that he seen someone who looked dead. And I bet you could even think of people in your life right now who you have wrote off because they are dead in your eyes. Maybe you've invited them 100 times to church. Maybe you've invited them to every family gathering and they show, show up and show out every time. Maybe they don't pick up the phone every time you call. But they're not dead, and God is not done with them yet, and you have the chance to be the Samaritan for them. There are people who look dead in our life, but they're very much still alive. In anything, you may find something in your lifetime in this world that can temporarily provide freedom and healing and peace. I truly believe that cannot be found outside of a relationship with Jesus. That is the true place that we can find healing and we can find peace. It says in the story that the Samaritan healed, he helped the man right there, and then he took him to an end so he could continue to have long-term healing. Can I tell you really quick, the end in the story is a foreshadow to the church. And when I mean it's a foreshadow to church, I don't mean it's a foreshadow to our walls. I mean it's a foreshadow to us as people. That there are people in our life that God can use us and work through us to help them find healing. I want to read you James 5, 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be what? Healed. The effective prayer of a righteous, we just talked about that, a right standing man with God 
can accomplish much. Make it super practical for you. Have you ever had some secret you've been holding on to, you eventually told somebody, you confided in them, and you felt a million times better after you're like, ah, I just had to get that off my chest. Can you relate to that? That's what our Bible is suggesting is like carrying that sin weight. There are people in your life, man, they just need you to stop what you're doing for a minute and just hear them out. Just help them carry that weight just a little longer and a little while. Does that make sense? But it's not only can you be a soundboard for somebody and they can deal with their rainy days, their junk, the things that keep them up at night with you. But the Bible actually says that God can work through you the way that you pray for them. I'll make it really practical. I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, and we were talking about prayer. And I said, hey, you know, whenever I pray for somebody, um, this is something I do. It may be helpful to you. It might not. But I don't know what everybody has going on. So a lot of times when I pray for someone, I'll say, God, um, I just want to ask on so-and-so's behalf for the thing, the desire that's on their heart. And God, I just want to pray about the thing that's keeping them up at night. You know what it is. I just want to ask you for what they are asking you for. It's not hard to go to God's behalf for the people in our life. And let's make it even more practical for me. Let's like put ourselves in the story. So you're going along the road. Lo and behold, there's somebody who needs help. Maybe you're just like the man. Like maybe the first thing you do is to go to like triage the situation. I had to make sure I was using that word right at the beginning of it. Ask, ask a former nurse. You triage the situation. You're going to give out some aid. And then the next thing that you and I are probably going to do is like pick up the phone and call 911 and get them to a hospital. Well, I'm sure at some point in time, like you've heard this, but like the church kind of is that for people that need to find healing, right? Like we said, the church is the end in the story. And there's something really unique about the church. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, and I'm still talking about the people, not the building. There's something so unique about the church that it's unlike anything else in the world. That the church, its primary existence is for people who are not yet a part of it. Going to Costco after church today? Better have your Costco card. But this church, we pray for people who have never walked through the door of it. And we never will stop. Because we exist so people can come get equipped and empowered to live the life that God intends and change their community every single day. I'm sure you've heard that the church is like a hospital, which isn't the best analogy because if you know anything about hospitals in the last few years, is they got two big problems, right? Number one, they're out of beds. Number two, they're short on staff. And can I tell you, we try to solve that problem from this stage and within our church all the time. That's why we talk about Engage. Engage is literally just two weeks where, hey, go on a ride with us. We want to tell you about the church. We want to learn a, a heck of a lot about you and how God's gifted you. Man, if you love him, you love it here, we want you to wear a jersey. We want you to, we want you to do ministry here that God has solely gifted you to do. I can't imagine if I had to take somebody I love into a hospital and they told me they were out of beds and I looked down the hallway and all I seen was a bunch of healthy people with their feet kicked up watching TV. You'd be upset too, wouldn't you? You know that's called the American church. Ouch. PC will delete that part out for the podcast. Don't worry about that. That's our church. But we can do something about that. Because if you're in a hospital, you're either one or two people. You're either a patient or you're on the hospital staff. And we're passionate about fixing that problem for us. Does that make sense?
Oh, y'all ain't mad at me. Number three. It's, oh, excuse me. Let me go. Yep. Number three, you have to choose your side of the road. You have to choose your side of the road. We don't get a preference on who we serve. Right? We don't, we don't get a preference at all. And the people we're going to encounter in our life are going to come with trauma, baggage, and problems, and things that keep them up at night. But we're going to have to make the decision, are we going to help them or not? And my job as a staff member at our church was to deliver today's message. My job as a follower of Jesus, as I prayed about what I taught today, was to say the thing I'm about to say. I don't know if it's for you. I don't know if it's for somebody that was in the 830, in Florence, online, or they're going to be in the 1130. And it's this. Somebody in the room needs to be told that God picked you. God picked you. He knew you before the beginning of time, and he picked you. You're sitting in your seat right now, and you feel disqualified. You feel inadequate. You feel like there's no reason that God should use you to do anything. You feel less than, and you've been sitting, hoping and waiting that someone would give you permission to take a step. And I'm here to tell you today, God picked you. He picked you. For someone in this world, you may be the only Bible they ever read. You may be the only Bible they ever read. Our Bible says for someone to believe, someone has to tell them, right? And how great is it for the person who tells them? And for somebody in this world, that's you. It's not all about you, but you better believe it is all on you for somebody in this world. And the difference between the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite is he didn't look away and he didn't go to the other side of the road. Can we agree on that? I want to show you something really quick. It's Matthew chapter 9. I want to show you something Jesus said one time. Matthew chapter 9, 36 and 37. Seeing the people, he felt what for them? Oh, that sounds familiar. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. These are Jesus' words. I want to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's never going to be a harvest problem. He said, for you, there will never be a shortage. There will never be a shortage of people you will encounter in your life that will positively respond to the gospel. He said, it'll never happen. Until you see him, there will never be a shortage of people who respond to the gospel because it's not a harvest problem. It's a worker problem. And do you know what happens to the harvest in the field if there's no one there to harvest it? It rots right where it's standing. It rots right where it's standing. If you're hearing this message today, I truly believe we are the few. I believe we are the few workers. But if we're going to be ready to help somebody on the side of the road, we definitely need to kind of be ready within ourselves too. Would you guys agree with that? We have a saying that we practice here within our, within our team at church is uh, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Because how many times have you had the opportunity to do something and the time it came up, 
Boy, it was too late to get prepared, wasn't it? It was way too late to get prepared. And I say all that to say, as followers of Jesus who desperately desire to serve the people in our life, the closer relationship we have with him, we can operate from a state of overflow. That what's happening in us, it's now so much that I have something I can actually give to somebody else. Does that make sense? I want to show you how I see the world. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. I think you're going to appreciate this. It says, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. Preserve in these things. For as you do this, you will save both yourself and who else? Those who hear you. This is a verse that really rings true to me. And I think every time I look out in this crowd and I see you guys, this is what I feel internally deep down inside. But I bet you could relate to this in the exact same way. Is that if we want to be ready and we want to operate from a state of overflow to our relationship with the Lord, is so fruitful we actually have something to give to help somebody on the side of the road. We have to be really wise and we have to know ourselves really well, right? We have to be pretty self-aware of who we are. But even more importantly, we have to be in God's word and we need to know who he says we are. We need to know what he says about our life, his plan to prosper us and not to harm us, right? We have to know those things because not only will it benefit me and I can live a full life for Jesus, but now I have something to give away for everyone else that I come in contact with in my life. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, that's great, but what do I do to be ready? And I knew you were going to ask it, so I already prepared. Number four for you, you need a plan, not a product. You need a plan, not a product. Yeah, the Samaritan, <laughs> when he was walking by, he didn't like, you know, oh, that looks like it hurts. Oh, here's a first aid kit, see ya, you know? I mean, he, he didn't just throw some first aid down on him and go about his business. He took a step-by-step process to triage, to help the man, to resource the man with his own goods and get him to somewhere that he could be cared for. Our whole world is selling us the miracle product and a miracle pill. Like the one stop, one fix, everything. We've all heard the drug infomercials, haven't we? And they're horrible. They all end in like the side effects, death. It's like, well, that's, why would I take this? That's, I'm, the side effects are worse than the thing I'm taking the medicine for, you know? Like it's going to be my last migraine or it's going to be my last migraine. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's horrible. The miracle pill doesn't work. What we need, though, is somebody who says, hey, you know what? I'll walk this journey out with you step by step. I don't know. If I'm, if I'm trying to learn something, man, I need somebody who can take their time to help me step by step and understand, I mean, what in the world I'm up against? I want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It's really simple. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, and this is a tough one too, right? Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. One of the greatest plans you can have for the people in your life, if you want to serve them, if you want to help them take steps closer to Jesus, is literally just take them on the journey with you. I think sermons are great, um, but if you don't have something at the end of the day, like you can put some handles on and walk away with, it's tough to live these things out. So I made a list of a couple of things I think might be just practical, helpful things to you to like take somebody on the journey with you. And they're probably not going to be things you hadn't heard before. Number one is invite them to church. You're like, well, he gets paid to say that. Like, no, seriously, invite them to church. 
We, when we had team rally this morning, Erin was praying for our team, and she said something, and y'all were so taken back by this one simple phrase. She said, Lord, thank you for Sundays. And I was like, oh, man, I could, I so appreciate Sundays too. Because, yes, I do work here. That wasn't always the case because there was a Sunday where I sat in your seat for the very first time 10 years ago. I was invited to come to church, and an invite can change somebody's life forever and for all time. Invite them to church. Just talk about life stuff with them and check in on them. I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, and he, was, he asked a question. He was like, hey, man, when somebody comes like across my brain, is that like God's spirit telling me I should reach out to him, or is that just like a me thing? I say, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit of both, but there's nothing wrong when somebody comes on your mind. Just shoot them a quick text. Hey, listen, hey, I was just thinking about you. I just want to let you know I love you. Hey, whatever you got going on, let me know. Love to help you out with it. Can't wait to see you on Sunday. Just check in on people. I believe one another, another great thing that you can do is invite somebody to your life group. Invite somebody to your life group. I'm going to tell you what the life groups are here at our church. I'm going to like peel back the curtain, and this is going to be so simple. Ready for this? The DNA strand of a life group are three C's, connection, community, and care. Raise your hand. I mean, shake your head. That all makes sense. Yes, easy to know. When a life group gets together, every meeting may be different, right? You might be playing Xbox or you might be talking about Revelation, but every meeting's the same and it follows an acronym called ESPN, Encouragement, Scripture, Prayer, and Next Steps. Everybody's like, hmm, that sounds good. But pastor, what do I do for the people in my life who probably wouldn't go to a life group because they don't quite have a relationship with Jesus yet. Hey, I'm here to tell you all, before I was a pastor, I was a sales guy, and I got your back. You ready for this? This is what you do to your unchurched friends. I'm going to tell you what to do. You make a life group for them. It's how you do it. It's simple. This is simple. You guys are going to be able to do this in your sleep. Ready for this? The first thing you do is you say, hey, I'd love to take you to dinner, right? And you get them to dinner. You're in a social setting. And then you say something like this, like, hey, I've been following you on social media, and I've seen your kids, got some award, um, they're, they're made travel ball or whatever. Can I just encourage you and tell you, man, you're doing such a great job as a parent. I, I, know, you, I know you're right, not so much in the Bible, but I was reading in my devotion the other day that discipline is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And you don't know this, but you're probably better than me at that, and I'm a follower of Jesus. But you know what? I'd be willing to bet there's probably also something that's bugging you, and you may not have anybody else in the world doing this, but could I, like, pray for you about that? And if you'll let me pray for you about it, can I at least ask you to call for you again in a couple of weeks to check in on you? Do you realize that's a life group? And so then when you ask them to go to a life group, and they're like, oh, I don't think I'm interested, you're like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. We, actually, this was just kind of like one just a minute ago. It's not that hard. Create a life group for the people in your life. Pick a book or some kind of content to study together. And I wrote this one down too, and this is probably more personal for me, uh, so you can take it or leave it, uh, is do something challenging with someone in your life. Do something challenging with someone. And that's a weird one, but think about it. It's something that takes both of you out your comfort zone, and you're really going step by step in the same direction for maybe something that neither of you have ever done before. If it's a diet thing or a workout thing, that's a great opportunity. Um, there's like, <laughs> this is kind of goofy. There's like 15 people here. We're all running a Spartan race uh, together like, like next month. And so when you see a bunch of wheelchairs come rolling in for church like a month from now, I just want to explain to you what had happened. 
was the Spartan race, but do something challenging with the people in your life because I bet you're going to learn something about yourself and they're going to learn something about themselves as well. Hey, did you hear anything today that was helpful to you? You could probably put in practice. Oh, man. I can go home and sleep at night now. I know that. Um, really cool. I think a practical next step we could all take leaving out the building today um, is, is I hope you're, number one, you're instigated to serve the world around you. We're doing an initiative right now called for the 803 or for the 843 for our Florence community. And it's really simple. Is We're just asking, hey, would anybody be willing to partner with us just to serve the people in our area code? Can I tell you guys, we launched it last Sunday and over 100 people signed up to change their area code? Man, bravo. If you heard something today and you're like, hey, I didn't sign up last week or I want some more information, or you're like, hey, I'm here to pick up my bag today, my resources, I want to let you know that we have a team prepared to give you a bag full of resources to help you change your area code. I want to tell you some things that are in there that might be helpful for you to know. Easter invites, bring someone to Easter with you. You matter cards, you do something nice, drop that you matter card. This is a way to let them know, hey, you matter to me, you also matter to Jesus. There's information about Serve Saturdays. If you don't know what a Serve Saturday is, it's literally one Saturday a month that every campus just finds a need to meet in the community. So yesterday, we had Serve Saturday here in Columbia, and man, there was a group of like 50 or 60 of us. We went to Pine Grove Youth Academy, and we served around 40 residents with special needs, and we threw a big Easter egg hunt for them. Man, they had the best time in the world, and like that's what it's like to be world changers. There's this practical serve ideas in a way that you can do something for your neighbors. And so what I love to do is just challenge you, challenge you to change your area code, and I want to pray for you too. I, I, I can't get, let you leave here today without the ability to pray for you, but I want to ask you, could you pray about something with me in just a minute? So before we go to pray, if you were sitting in the room today and you're like, man, that's a great message, whatever, I'll go take it and I'm, I'm going to change the world, but I still don't quite know if I've ever formally made a decision to place my faith in Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity today. Our care corner is going to be full of team members at the end of the experience who want to pray with and for you. We have a team online right now for everybody who's watching this to pray for them so they can place Jesus at the center of their lives. I don't know if you picked up on this in the story, but Jesus is actually the Good Samaritan. He's the unlikely person who finds us exactly where we are. He meets that need, but he gets us to a place of community to where we can form long-lasting healing. And what do he say? Whatever it takes, man, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna repay the rest. It's all on me. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. If you need that in your life, our team's gonna, they're, they're there for you today. But what I'm asking for you is could you also pray for our team? Because over the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, we're gonna be hosting around 100 pastors who are coming here, man, just to train, just to engage with their peers and network. And we would love your prayers as we host and serve them. Can we both agree on that? Man, y'all the best, y'all the best. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today's message, God, and just you instigating a stir in our hearts to best serve the people that you've placed in our life, Lord. You've told us, God, it's not our preference, Lord, that, that it's your desire for us to serve everyone just the way that you have, God. We know people are messy. 
and they're wounded, Lord. We know that you've chose us and purposed us. And God, that we can live a life to where we won't say no and we won't go to the other side of the road, God. And we can, we can live a life with a plan. We can just invite people on the journey to follow us as we follow you. God, we thank you for your word today and how it will be transformed through our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, grab those invites. Bring someone to Easter. Bring someone with you next Sunday. Let's go change the world. See you next week.